0: Uh, Hello everybody, Um, good afternoon. For those of you in this time zone, good morning. For others, my name is Damian Shield and I'm the senior director here at the Institute at the Center for Medical Simulation. And I have the pleasure to welcome you to the first of the weekly webinars where although we're socially distanced, we are charting a new path towards healthcare education. And uh, when we say that we mean it at all levels from the clinicians, the workers, our students, uh, really just trying to improve what we're doing every step of the way. And it's my honor uh, to open the session and hand off to my colleague and friend, Jenny Rudolph, who is going to be convening uh, this wonderful group of colleagues. And so um, look forward to it. I'll have a role to moderate your questions throughout the session. So you'll see me pop in and out, but I'll go ahead and turn off my video and leave you uh, with these great uh, colleagues.
1: Thanks, Damien. We'll be counting on you behind the scenes there to filter and uh, grab people's questions. Well, everybody, we're in this strange world where even before COVID-19, people didn't always understand how simulation could possibly be useful to really important outcomes in their organizations. And I think a lot of us have suffered with the idea that uh, sometimes people just don't seem to buy in no matter how hard we're working. So I'd like to welcome you to a panel to try to think about how do we address that in a meaningful way in the COVID age, post COVID as we all adjust and hopefully at some point when the world gets back to some kind of normal. Welcome, my name is Jenny Rudolph. I'm the executive director uh, at the Center for Medical Simulation. I'm an organizational behavior scholar by training and a debriefer by passion. So I'm gonna be trying to uh, bring my debriefing skills to bear in having a really great conversation with this panel that you see here. I'll be introducing them in a second and also all of you online. So feel free to send in your questions to Damien Shield uh, via the chat and we'll really look forward to talking with you. Um, My partner in crime in um, uh, hosting this webinar is Chris Rusin. He is also an organizational behavior scholar. He spent a number of years at the Boston Children's Hospital Simulator Program and joined us here at the Center for Medical Simulation late last year. Um, Chris is the Senior Director of our Education Leadership and International Programs, which works with simulation programs around the world to do the kind of work we're going to be talking about today. I'm super delighted that we also have with us Donna Bonney, who's the Executive Director of Modern Education. Here in the United States, we'd label that Chief Executive Officer of Modern Education. Donna uh, has the formidable task of looking over education programs for all of the state of Queensland that Modern Health Services uh, cares about, which includes registered training organization type organizations like nursing schools etc as well as many of the things that we would recognize within hospitals having to do with simulation and Donna we're counting on you to kind of keep us honest in terms of are we actually talking to the c-suite in a meaningful way or are we uh, using language and jargon that you know your, you and your tribe might not possibly understand so yes
2: I'll, I'll try and translate Okay, thank you.
1: you. And then also (laughs) delighted to have Marjorie Lee White here. Um, I'm always thrilled to introduce Marjorie Lee because she's the Vice President of uh, Simulation for the University of Alabama Health System and I'm thrilled because UAB even has a Vice President of Simulation, which many health systems haven't put that kind of effort in. She's also the Assistant Dean of Simulation for the UAB University of Alabama Birmingham Medical School and she directs the Office of Interprofessional Uh, programs and innovation uh, across the health system. So Marjorie Lee, it's been great talking to you about your many um, accomplishments and challenges and welcome.
3: Glad to have you back. Thanks so much. It really is an honor. Looking forward to having a a debriefing session tonight. Great. Or tomorrow morning, whenever it is. (laughs) Yes. Well, we'll
1: we'll, we'll kind of have a conversation that's a bit like a debriefing now and then we'll probably all give ourselves good feedback, I hope, tomorrow. Um, And uh, look forward from getting feedback from our participants as well. And then Stephanie Barwick, um, it's wonderful to have you here. Stephanie is the head of partnerships and programs and in innovation at Modr Health Services in Brisbane, Australia. And that's where Donna Bonney is also from. Um, Stephanie not only thinks a lot about simulation across the system there at Modr, but how do you partner with organizations outside to use simulation and other educational modalities to solve real problems? So. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you for coming.
4: Thanks, Jenny. Now, Stephanie, you helped me right
1: away even before uh, this uh, webinar started yesterday when we were planning because um, I realized I was using America-centric language by saying uh, be the hero of the C-suite and you came on and was like, are we going to be working on cesarean sections or what is this about anyway? <laughs> I did require translation. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. Yeah. So um, folks who are joining us uh, for the webinar and uh, panelists while you're here, please uh, do help me translate if I'm speaking in a way that doesn't, doesn't make sense or uh, isn't working for
4: you. So Jenny, for those who um, may not know what the C-suite is, do, do you want to explain that? Yeah, maybe Donna, you could, because you're in it.
2: Oh, well, yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, translates to some, some role titles at executive levels that would start with chief. So chief executive officer, chief people officer, chief marketing officer, and I guess that's the C-suite. But yes, um, we obviously use those terms in Australia, but generally we wouldn't collectively call us C-suite. It's generally the exec or the executive, um, but I knew what you meant.
1: Great. Thank <laughs> you, Donna, and thank you, everybody. So I'd like to kick us off by um, putting a kind of problem in question out to our group, which is, um, you know, a lot of us came up in the simulation world when it was kind of a new and fresh thing. And I think I, for one, had this idea, if I build a great program, people will come. And To my great surprise, that does not always happen. People don't really understand what we're doing. People don't necessarily wanna give me resources. And I think that sometimes happens to all of us. And especially now as resources become ever more constrained uh, post-COVID as our organizations have less and less resources. So how do we, I'm gonna put this out there, stop thinking about ourselves as being the Participants of a simulation program or leading a simulation center or participate or being an educator in a simulation center. So stop thinking about having a simulation program and start thinking about solving real problems for other people. And when we have a failure of buy in or we don't have people understanding what we're doing. I'm going to put the provocative idea out there that that's our problem, not their problem. And somebody who I think has worked on this really hard over the last 10 years is Marjorie Lee White at the uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. And uh, Marjorie Lee, I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about how do you bridge that gap of how you think about things and how your constituents or your bosses or your colleagues think about things?
3: Well, thank you, Jenny. I uh, think that I have, frame this in in two ways with two sort of constructs. And I think about it as that we have the opportunity to um, help our C-suite see how they can use simulation for two sets of problems. One are the problems they know about. Um, And so those are things like central line associated bloodstream infections, some of the quality problems they know that that we have metrics for. And the second is problems that they don't know about that simulation is uniquely suited um, to be able to help them see. Uh, and so I have, we've been working on those two camps of problems, and um, using you know sort of all of our tools to do that. So the example of CLABSIs or central line associated bloodstream infection is a is a problem that we found a way to use our SIM tools. Um, so we happen to have and know because, and I think many of you all will will, know, will know, notice, we have partners in supply chain, we have partners um, in nursing, we have partners in all different places. And we partnered um, with them knowing that we're gonna have a new piece of, um, of equipment And we were going to have a new tool that our infection prevention folks wanted to do. But we could then use the best of simulation, the best practices, um, just-in-time learning, coaching, uh, debriefing. Um, We could use the principles that we had to really make an impact on a problem that was known. So So that's how I get started.
1: That's great, Marjorie Lee. So could could we just dig in a little bit to that? So the the problem is uh, central venous line acquired, hospital acquired infections, and, and your hospital like many across the US, and I'm imagining perhaps in Australia too, Donna, get judged by your infection rates, and it's a big deal. So um, how did you make the case or how did you start helping the C-suite people understand how you could help them?
3: So I think we went about it in a multi-pronged way. Um, First, uh, we um, every time there was um, an opportunity to speak up within a quality venue, we would we would I would speak up and say, "Hey, Sim can help with this part. Um, Sim can be part of that process. We can um, help to to redesign that." And so for central line insertion. Um, we worked uh, sort of within the system to change the way we're doing that because we all know there's great evidence um, for an impact at the insertion site. But for central line care, Um, there wasn't really a sim model. um, And so that's something we had to create with our partners um, in order to be able to deploy that. And so um, we really went at it from various different levels, um, looking for early wins, um, really trying to get the difference between buy-in and ownership, um, which I've really learned is incredibly important. So ownership, getting people involved at the beginning. I'm seeing nodding um, for Steph. She probably has learned this lesson as well. Getting people involved early on so that we can have them be partners with us to then see how the success is. And so um, it may have been, um, a hey, can you do something about this um, conversation that just happens? Um, and the answer is yes. Um, and we'll, uh, we want to work on ownership with, with the teams. you can do that.
1: Great. So I see Chris and Donna and Steph nodding. Do does any of you want to comment on uh, what, what Marjorie Lee is saying here?
2: Yeah, Jenny, I think Marjorie Lee is, is exactly right. There are those two scenarios, one when um, I guess we know we have a problem and as Marjorie Lee says, saying yes straight away, can you help, yes, and then working out later how exactly uh, to do that is important. Um, and I think that's that's good and um, I also think um, Marjorie Lee's comment about being there when we don't know we have a problem or I guess being there early enough, to be part of the discussion around getting to what the actual problem is or identifying that we have a problem before and not waiting for someone to sort of say, oh, I think this is an education need or, you know, let's get the sim team in here to fix it. You actually want to be there quite early on, I think, in those discussions so that you can um, show the number of ways simulation can be used. It's not just education. And I think for some of the... C-suite, for example, um, well, most of them, if, even if you've got a clinical background, it might have been some time ago when you thought simulation was around uh, education and training, and you didn't see simulation um, in the form of translational simulation, which can actually improve systems and, and uh, real problems in your organisation. And that's actually where the C-suite focus is. It's on systems, not necessarily on individuals or individual teams, but it's on how that system's working and and how to improve it. So I think, um, I think Marjorie Lee's right. Don't wait for an invitation. Actually, you've really got to find ways to insert yourself into the conversations um, before before someone else decides it's it's something you can be involved in. And right. and if you've got something like the infection. Um, reporting that's driving it, that's great, but there are always big projects going on across organisations and looking for them and, and thinking about how simulation could add value and, you know, just send an unsolicited offer to help and and um, use your relationships in that way because the invitations don't always come and you don't always want to wait for them.
1: Thanks, Donna. And, Can um, I offer... Come- um, Yes, Steph, I'm going to come right Sorry, back Jenny. to you, just yeah. give me one second here, because uh, we've had a few people jump on in the last three to five minutes, and I want to just make sure to kind of recap. So, first of all, welcome, everybody. The roadmap for today is going to be, we're getting some basic ideas out on the table of how do you solve real problems for people in the executive suite uh, using simulation by thinking about how do they see it and meeting their Uh, frames or their needs, where they are. And we had an example of that from Marjorie Lee White of the UAB system, thinking about central venous line placement infection control. Um, And so we're going to dig into a few problems like this. Um, Chris Rusin is going to present us a little bit of a conceptual model then, using these examples of how we might think about this as simulationists. And then we're going to think about a bit about the micro skills of how do you identify what those problems are and then go about building a program to meet them because that's not something we're trained as educationalists to do. And we really need to think sort of more like design thinkers and more politically than any of us are usually comfortable with. So that's kind of the direction that we'll be going. So we heard from Marjorie Lee about CVL placement, infection control, Donna Bonnie said, yeah. And what she said, make sure you get yourself in there, insert yourself, look for problems to solve, don't
4: wait to be invited. And Steph, what were you thinking? I, I was more just going to offer a practical, like how, how does that operationalize that getting you inserted into the conversation? And for us, it, it wasn't that we intended to go out there to, um get noticed in the c-suite but we started identif- through our in situ simulation program started seeing multiple times where the system was not supporting clinical practice and so what we did was just sent emails <laughs> used our relationships to get ourselves heard and we we reported on those system issues that uh, you know, we're, we're concerning, I guess, for the C-suite. And, and that's how we have been able to build sustainability in our program. And can you just double click on that for one second,
1: uh, Steph, and just give us
4: an example of one of those, if, it, if it's I, readily I mean, to mind? very early on in, we, our intention very early on for our in-situ simulation program was to train teams together uh, in medical emergency responses. What we found um, at the same time was that we were identifying issues. For example, um, one that I can think of off the top of my head was we identified that the teams were taking a little bit of time to get to where we were to respond. And during a debrief being, we identified that not all lifts had priority swipe access. Mm-hmm. And so it was taking them longer to respond because of that. It it had been around for probably 20 years, but the simulation brought it to life. And then it really was an email that we sent directly to the C-suite and said, hey, this came up in the, in the simulation. We think it should be addressed. And straight away, the next day, it was addressed. Great. Um, and, Donna- and then they, that was, yeah, really Pivotal, I guess.
1: Yeah. Donna Bonnie, Executive Director of Modern <laughs> Education. Um, we have the luxury of having you here. When you get an email like that, how does that land on you? Are you like, yes, something I can actually fix? Or is it kind of like, oh, dread, another thing I have to fix? Or how is that? Well, there- I think
2: um, most of the things that arrive at the C-suite uh, unsolicited like that, at first you think, how can this be going on for 20 years and no one's thought to tell us. And then you remind yourself that actually um, that communication gap between yourself and and the directors and then the managers and then the people on the ground, there's all those little holes for pieces of information like that to go through. And as you know, clinicians or, you know, I mean, hospital, healthcare workers in general are very good at finding workarounds. And so it's not inconceivable that things like that could happen and happen every day. But I think what um, Steph's highlighted is that actually one of the key, if certainly one of the most important um, roles or accountabilities that the C-suite have is to um, mitigate risk. Mm. So. We really need people to identify risk and I can tell you it gets a lot of attention if someone calls calls out that this is a patient safety risk in particular um, and then that's one of our core roles is to monitor and address that and so there would be a response the next day. Um, so it's really um, a sense of gratitude that someone has actually managed to fill that uh, you know jump those gaps of communication that happen up the chain and, and get it to you where you can actually do something.
3: It. Jenny, can I double click on that a little bit? Please. Uh, I, I think we, um, I uh, also have found similar things in our insight, too. And I have a triage in my head about things that we find. And sometimes there are things I can't go home and can't mm-hmm. go to sleep at night without getting it corrected. Um, and then there are others that we know we trend and track and report through our systems. And so that when we escalate, really, um, you know, it's sort of at a gut level too, um, in terms of that. So as I'm thinking about tools to help people understand um, and sort of use what we're collecting in our insight to or not necessarily, I now say translational simulation. Um, I, I'm thinking about the combination of great data systems, but also just remembering that human um, piece. Like I think if my mom were in this hospital, which would I want her to be in that, you know, the situation that I just found. And so some things get hap- get fixed even that that day, that night, um, in mm-hmm. terms of that. So, Yeah,
4: sometimes I, I wonder if we're, psychic or just well-prepared, because quite often what we, the, the sim scenario that we um, do in situ happens two weeks later or, or the week later, so it's really helpful
3: um, that those
4: issues are addressed. And I would yeah. say the same
3: thing happens to us. And I try to share those positive stories um, yes. also with the C-suite so that they're hearing both, hey, we found this uh, opportunity and guess what? Um, it changed patient care um, and here's the, here's the story um that you can share about that so so both um you know here's all the things that have gone um wrong but here look here's here's the here's the result of of that intervention thank you Oh, Donna, Jenny, please, could yeah. I just
2: what Marjorie Lee is doing there is training the C suite with positive reinforcement, which is absolutely <laughs> works, and um, I think that's right because as as she says, um, you would not believe the amount of data that we see every day, every week, every fortnight, every month. We come together and it and it. Can, you've got to break through that white noise of data, 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 and you can see trends, yes, absolutely, but actually, when you get that call or that email or that letter that breaks through, talks to the humans, and I think, yes, gives both either a raises a risk or gives positive reinforcement that, hey, you brought in, you got us involved, look at what you've managed to achieve, and we go, that's pretty good, we might do that again next time. So, power to you. That's great.
1: Using Pavlov's principles on the C-suite. You heard it here the first (laughs) time. Okay, Um, wait, I didn't know that's what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Remember intermittent versus positive reinforcement. Yeah. So uh, Damian Shield, if you're okay with it, I think I might ask if you have some questions you might like to um, pose to the panel from what you're hearing in the chat.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you, Jenny. I'll, I'll give you a just a little summary of the uh, kind of two or three topics that are that are coming through. And uh, I think many of the topics are being answered as as you're going along. Uh, a series of questions to Stephanie and others around. Well, how do you know what the C suite cares about. Is there any resource on the types of data that you might report on, I think, maybe at the high level of what you think is interesting to them and how you approach them. Um, An interesting comment from uh, uh, Lonsetnik around, well, should simulation then not really be an education modality, but really part of the QA and QI processes for hospitals? I know that's Chris's background, so he might talk about that. And um, uh, I think that those are kind of the... uh, And one more thing is that uh, several folks are asking about the term in situ simulation and translational si- simulation, are these synonymous? You may want to discuss that briefly.
1: Okay. I'm going to just jump in for a sec. I'm going to say two words about in situ and translational sim, and then uh, people, uh, all of us, I'll come back to those in some more detail. Um, in situ simulation is doing simulation uh, sort of at the coal face or wherever the actual real work is happening. And then translational simulation is a term for using our simulation mojo to try to have an impact on either processes and or ultimate clinical outcomes. And we'll dig into that quite a bit more. Um, uh, Let me just uh, go to you, Chris, Um, whatever uh, of those various interesting questions came our way that you'd like to dig into, uh, you want to take a swing at one of those?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and I
1: think we swings in cricket and and baseball. So I think I'm being reasonably um, (laughs) ecumenical. Yes,
5: let's swing something at it and hope something good happens. Okay. So I I love, Damian pointed out that I have some experience talking about the word education as it relates to simulation and whether or not we should use that word. When I was the learning and development director for the Boston Children's Sim Program, I realized pretty quickly that education had a meaning in hospitals and it meant kind of something extra that you were doing that day that could be put aside if something more important came up. At least that was one of the meanings of it. And as educators, as people who identify as being educators, that hurts our feelings a little bit. But then when you start to think about the implications of how we should communicate about simulation programs, um, you know, it really means that we need to talk about the practical value of applied learning to improve some sort of outcome.
1: Chris, um, yeah. I'm thinking about popping in a couple slides that you and I talked about for a minute here. Yeah. How would that be?
5: That sounds great. Okay. All right. So, you know, one of the things we can do at simulation programs, Um, or as people that care about learning, care about applied learning, or people who think about solving problems with learning, whether they're problems that we know about, problems we don't know about, problems that we know about and that we're good at talking about, problems that we know about and that we don't know how to talk about. I was thinking about different categories as my colleagues were talking. Um, We can imagine ourselves in the future uh, who we will be. And I think a visioning exercise is, is always a valuable thing to do at the beginning of a moment of change. Organizational change or individual change. So well, now,
1: some small things happening in the world.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There's a couple of things going on. So we could imagine ourselves with the vision for our simulation organization um, of being the go to resource in the hospital, or certainly one of a small number of go to resources in the hospital or in the healthcare system or in the medical school, the nursing school. Um, go to resource to solve problems and we can answer these visioning questions for ourselves how will we in our near future in our near ideal future partner with our customers and maybe our customer is the c-suite maybe our customer is the leader of the hospital the leader of quality and safety um, clinical leaders of departments and units Um, how do we tap into best education in management science. And I think we're all all together today to actually do that, which is very, very exciting. What are our resources to help us design uh, what we're doing and help us keep ourselves current? And I love this last question, what will be our reputation in the hospital? What will be our reputation with the healthcare organization? How will they refer to us? And I think we've heard Marjorie Lee and Donna and Steph talking about wouldn't it be great if leaders referred to us as, oh, f- just thank God that they're here. Thank God that simulation program is here, helping us describe our problems, helping us intervene with our problems, and over time get better and better and better.
1: Great. Chris, I'm going to move on to one more slide from you, if that's okay. Yeah. So, folks, I'd like to just kind of recap. We got some great questions from Damien. We're sort of thinking about one of them which is how do we specifically make that bridge from where we are to, to the C-suite? And um, Chris, I think is gonna pick up on some of the themes that we've heard from Donna, Stephanie, and Marjorie Lee of how do we listen for what are the big problems and how do we address them? And um, I did see that question from Jared Hendrickson about you know, how do we get at the data? Sometimes they don't wanna share the data and I think uh, we may not get to this right at this moment, but I think one of the things we need to be aware of as simulationists is, you know, if you're asked some, asking somebody to share with you their weaknesses, essentially, hey, you know what, guess what, we have an infection rate that isn't so great. Or, or guess what, we, we've we had these five not so great uh, outcomes in our maternal care in the last uh, two years. That um, can be kind of confronting for people to share. So it's partially about how do we create those relationships. And so um, I think where Chris is going to go here is he's going to talk a little bit about a robust process that kind of, um, I think, kind of build our credibility in um, and, and help us get at that data. So Chris, uh, I may be speaking for you too much. So let me let you speak no. for yourself.
5: that's great, Jenny. Thank you. And what we're about to show you here, what we're about to unwrap for you is kind of everybody's favorite image when we think about solving the problems of the healthcare organization. So My colleagues have been talking a lot about we need to know what's important, we need to know the problems of the organization, we need to plug into that, to tap into that, we need to talk about that, we need to hear about that. And so that really, as we've already established, is the beginning of providing great programs that solve problems. What are some of those input categories that we can think about? Well, what people need to know (laughs) in, in the COVID era, we've been talking a lot about how to put PPE on such that we're protected and then this gigantic category of how to do things with PPE on. I think I've already gotten 10 emails about that today of applied case studies related to we're having challenges doing this new thing with PPE on now that we're opening up the ORs, for example. So what do people need to know? What's most important to our organization right now, to our unit, to our division? What are our challenges? What are the problems that we think we can solve? What are the problems that have been impossible for us to solve? What's happened recently? What's changing in the environment? And believe it or not, this slide was designed before COVID, but it kind of fits beautifully. And how do we plug into these information sources is a question. And then what do we provide? I think this is the part that we have a lot of experience with and that we get very excited about and that we're quite good at, but we can provide different categories of education, if you will, or learning programs intended to solve problems. We have a system that we use a lot called the Sim Zones, that was originally developed uh, with Peter Weinstock and me and our greater team at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, and we use that system at CMS as well to help us organize different types of experiential learning interventions, including skill building courses, situational training, Um, And those are all kind of teaching and learning and instruction and mastery experiences. And then also at the top there, systems of ongoing evaluation of environments, of processes, um, evaluation of teams, and then continuous development of teams and systems, whether we're doing that in simulation or whether we're doing that around our real work. Good debriefing and briefing is really, really valuable in simulation, but also every day when we go to work and sometimes that's a missed opportunity. So we can solve problems with these programs. And then we're interested in tracking how this influences outcomes, the key performance indicators of the organization. And those are, you know, do people know how to do things like at Boston Children's Hospital, we were really interested in having a world-class pediatric ECMO program and being able to activate that from multiple places in the hospital. So can we do that was a big KPI. Is it safe, is it consistent? Those were other KPIs. Um, Employee well-being indicators, those are a lot on our mind these days. Um, Are we continuously learning? Are we increasing efficiency? These are some of the KPI categories that we wanna tap into. And I'd be curious to hear comments from the panel about those KPI categories and which ones resonate the most.
1: Um, yes, that question and Damien um, just helping me with my situation awareness here. Um, if you want to do a little steering for a moment to make sure that we're responsive to the some of those questions that came from the floor as we come out of Chris's framework there. Um, I
0: think I think Chris is right on because people are asking from uh, for for novices to who are trying to shift from we deliver simulation activities to How can I serve the C-suite? What are those KPIs? What are the questions we should ask or the questions they might be interested in answering?
1: Um, I'm gonna just uh, take a risk here for a second and just steer a little bit tightly. Marjorie Lee, uh, you and I have chatted a bit about the intersection between the opioid crisis and now having to deal with administering Narcan and, and uh, EMTs and all these other people being in the field with COVID positive or possibly COVID positive patients. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems like in Chris's model here, a very key kind of in context situational learning and preparation challenge and the KPIs for that, I can't really imagine what those would be. Um, but wondering if you have any thoughts on that in terms of KPIs or, or, uh, or if you wanna take us a different direction, feel free.
3: Yeah, so as I think about um, really the KPIs for this, I actually think it gets to sort of a, a more basic level. Um, so really helping people to be able to see and report to us in their sim experiences um sort of the difference between work as imagined you know work that is in the policy and then work that they're actually doing and using the sim as the trigger and so it gets it gets at you know mastery competency. It gets at safer patient care. It gets at um, increased efficiency. So the scenario you talked about, you know, PPE for EMS plus still being able to do, um, you know, give the Narcan plus um, our being able to collect um, both from their lived experience. Um, and from the simulation experience that we're doing in a safe way with PPE, but not using up the supply of PPE, um, you know, but helping them to be able to see systems is really the the challenge that I I'm really working on. Um, and I'd be interested in in how others are looking at that.
1: Anybody want to jump in on that?
5: I want to say this, you know, we talked a bit about the invite into these information sources and I I, I view, it's, it's funny, Jenny, I see the invite into the inputs as being very similar um, to the invite into the outputs, like having visibility into what's important to people around KPIs is very similar to having input into um, what's important to people. And I, you noted that we need great relationships. You noted that maybe building trust over time is a way to get into these conversations. I used, one of my favorite um, questions to ask at Boston Children's Hospital, and also with our many partners at CMS across the world, is to say, what is worrying you the most right now? And then to Marjorie Lee's point, when you get that answer, which inevitably comes, the answer to that question always came, and it was always really interesting, starting to explore using our expertise as simulationists, starting to explore the system implications of that, or how that plays out in a system kind of way. So you can actually start that systems conversation, like, like Marjorie Lee is, is so expert at.
4: Yeah, um, One thing I really uh, would like to share as, as a really important micro skill, and it's been said a few times, but the informal conversations and the informal building of relationships, it's, Uh, For uh, Certainly for me, in my experience, I don't think we would, well, I would have had um, as much, um, I don't know, influence if I didn't invest in building the relationships and um, having informal conversations with people about things. I I think that the C-suite are looking at us as the experts of knowing what they don't know. Or, or finding out what problems that they have that they don't know yet. So, um, yeah, I just, could, I, we, uh, could we maybe go a little deeper on that? I know um, you have been leading a
1: program at uh, Modern Education called OptiSim, where you're trying to use simulation to optimize either new policies and procedures, new spaces, new systems, uh, architectural builds, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the pathway and relationship between your informal conversations and a recent system testing thing that you've done, because I think that's a great example of solving real problems for the system.
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm really super proud to work uh, at MATA, MARTA Education, MATA Health Service. It's a progressive organization that I feel... Um, proactively approaches some of this stuff. And and our journey as an education department supporting health has probably come from establishing a sim centre. There's been a bit of serendipity starting an in-situ sim program where we identified all of these things and then transitioning to having an in-situ sim program that focuses on education, but a an opti sim program that focuses on translational simulation. I, I also can't stress enough as to how the In situ SIM program developed culture, a culture of SIM and relationships between departments, which really helped uh, us and made um, that conversation of, oh hey, this didn't go so well, less defensive for people. Sorry, less of a, you know, sometimes people can get quite defensive about the fact that you highlight Gaps or issues, and I think building those relationships helps ease that, um, and really makes them feel like you're you're in it together. So I think our journey has been that it's it was um, from informal conversations from our in situ sim program when we first did. Um, an OptiSIM project on opening a new hospital, it was a corridor conversation between someone in SIM and someone in um, our capital works department saying, hey, you know, SIM could really help make sure that those rooms are functional. And then that capital works person who is in the building department said, oh, really? Okay, let's do it. And then now, rather than us going to them, they come to us all of the time, I mean, yeah, and it, it's not just done in situ. You know, we in the last two weeks have done um, translational sim or opti sim in our sim lab. One was around a prototype room of a schematic design. Um, the organisation was had a very small amount of space to work in to redevelop this, this clinical area, um, and they wanted to make sure that the design was functional, functional, and and um, Use usable, I guess, for the clinicians. So, we built the prototype. We had clinicians come in, run a sim, and they identified storage issues. They identified um, that a whole new flow and process was needed to be established, but it was really valuable at that early design phase. Mm -hmm. Um, Great, Stephanie. So, I want to
1: just uh, unpack a couple of uh, terms you used there, and then... uh, Damian, maybe we can check back with you uh, for some some questions. So we've had a couple references so far to the concept of translational simulation. So I want to unpack that for a moment. But before I do, I just want to highlight part of what we're talking about here bears potentially repeating or saying in a different way, which is, I think one of the most profound things about the work that Uh, Chris Rusin and Peter Weinstock did at Boston Children's that we're trying to do with our own hospital and Massachusetts General Hospital that we do with our colleagues around the world that Marjorie Lee's doing and that the Modder Group are doing is that we're shifting from seeing things primarily in our own frame and our own lens and our own concerns to putting ourselves in a kind of client-focused, customer-focused, stance. And um, for those of you who have been doing any reading about design thinking, customer empathy, customer jobs, pains, and gains, what are the problems that other people are facing? How can we make that pain go away? Or how can we help them reach their goals? It's really uncomfortable and difficult, at least it was for me, to flip to that mindset because I know how to do my work my way. And it's a little bit uncomfortable to try to get in a stance where like, I don't really know what their problems are, and I don't even really know who to talk to, and I have to talk to someone to find out who to talk to, and so that's the kind of work that we're talking about here, so it's partially a shift for us uh, mentally to shift from I know what to do to I don't know what to do, and I really need to ask other people what their problems are. Beyond that, um, I'm just going to spend a second, uh, this is a very busy slide, so I'm going to direct your attention as you go. So this is some work by Vic Brazel, and it tracks with some great work by Bill McGahey from Northwestern, but Vic Brazel and team at Gold Coast University Hospital are doing some wonderful work using what she calls translational simulation. And one of the aspects of that is diagnosis, what is actually happening or not happening. And so that's tracking with the words that you've heard from the panelists, work as done versus work as imagined. So it's not uncommon. For example, one of our uh, uh, organizations that we work with had a new neo- neonatal resuscitation um, process come in and they it was decreed from on high. And when they simulated it, they found a number of problems in in the steps and so they were able to through that usability testing change it so that it was safer and better for this teeny tiny babies so that's diagnostic simulation and then once you've figured those things out you can use simulation to make things better um, by improving how inter how handoffs happen so for example a number of people around the world have been using simulation for various transport problems so how do we get the patient from the door of the emergency room to the cath lab for definitive care by simulating their arrival, putting them on the gurney, having them travel. And it turns out some of the biggest challenges there are who's in charge of the patient after they go from the emergency room to uh, while they're on their way to the cath lab. Is it the uh, transport team? Well, yes it is, but those kinds of things need to be diagnosed and then we need to practice them using an interventional approach to make them better. So there's more to say about translational SIM, but the idea here is instead of just saying, hey, I've got an airway program, let me help you all get better at your airway management skills, that's great. It might look at, hey, you know what, we need to manage certain kinds of patients, perhaps more obese patients or patients with different kinds of challenges in this particular way and we have a concerted effort to get better at it. So that's an example of using simulation to both diagnose and intervene.
5: Jenny, I'd love to add something quick here, just about the language yes. that we use and, and yeah. my heart, some of my really hard-earned lessons <laughs> um, like I failed the first couple of times. It's uh, like when you're doing sim, um, evaluation sim or testing sim or optimizing sim, as Steph does a lot, the language of, we are going to evaluate this process, or we are going to evaluate this environment can often lead people to say, uh, no, you aren't, or it might sound good to one person, but it sound terrible to absolutely everybody else because they feel they're about to be evaluated by some external entity and why would they ever want that? And what we learned is that the language of, hey, all, everybody, you have the opportunity, like all together as a community to evaluate this for yourselves. So let's build a team of you to do this and we will support you in this. And that was like really hard-earned language kind of in the early days of doing sim-based testing that was just so incredibly valuable. And it's really this partnership language that has allowed all these programs to thrive. And um,
0: yeah, I don't know if anyone else- Chris, if if I could jump in, sorry, Marjorie, um, you go. You go, you go. No, go ahead, Marjorie. I'll go after.
3: Well, I was just going to say, I I think the language is really important. And April Bell, who's our director of in situ simulation, uses the term discovery simulation um, for our process work. And often that, um, in combination with you know, we're here together, we're creating ownership um, of this process. And really, um, the the opportunity is also. In um, what Jenny has termed the design principles so that we're really getting frontline staff, the people who are there doing the work, giving them the opportunity to participate and in their future um, is is what makes it so meaningful to to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say that even during COVID, um, you can do these simulations virtually. Um, so we've continued to do process sims via Zoom um, with people from multiple different places. And so we haven't stopped doing translational sim. We've just changed it um, into different formats. So I think that was a question you know, on, on, the, on the process. So we can still use all of um, our skills to um, help improve our processes. Mm-hmm. Damian.
0: Yeah. So both Chris's ending and Marjorie Lee's ending are both, I think, linked to some questions that are on the table for us uh, that you might consider for the last uh, couple of volleys before we uh, last couple of pitches.
1: Great, Damian. Just, I'm going to I'm going to do so a little. I'm going to do a little recap, Damian, and then come to you for
4: those questions. Can I add one thing, Jenny? Of course. Just one thing um, about. I agree with everyone that words matter, and you know, um, colleagues like Vic Brazel, Eve, Kamal Bajaj, uh, certainly in connecting simulation to quality improvement, acknowledge that words matter. I also think that it's important to educate people about the functionality of Sim outside of education. So we're uh, a, as a group of simulation isters understand that Sim can be used. Much broader than education, but I don't think everyone quite understands that yet. So, part of our role is helping educate the C suite and people um, in health organizations that this is a really great tool to help them. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah,
3: that's
2: um, so
4: right. Uh, Donna, do you want
1: to? Oh,
2: I just think uh, I was just going to say she's, she's right. I think the building of relationships is really important, but they have to come across. Um, functional silos and what I've experienced with education and simulation to some degree is it's a lot of you know, if you're only talking to people with who've experienced it, it'll have the same mindset you're just preaching to the choir. And actually, the reason translational sim is hard um, is because our organizational structures don't support us to think that way of, as far as that cross functional collaboration. But you've got to build relationships and. At the MARTA, Steph has a fantastic relationship with our capital works department. Millions of dollars of capital works go on um, every year. Infection control, quality and safety, clinical governance, and of course, you know, the clinicians on the ground. So I think that you know, the C-suite also are very keen to put people and teams in boxes because we have um, accountability ourselves overall for the organisation. So we also wanna know who's accountable for certain uh, problems to be fixed or things to be improved. And so we also will tend to go to the people like quality and safety or um, the clinical governance or to health, but what we need to be educated on is is that collaboration that um, Steph's talking about. No one... I've had um, group CEOs say to me, you know, I just want someone to report to me on how we're going with getting evidence-based practice. Um, embedded across the organisation. And you're like, well, that's no one executive's accountability, right? That's that's a big collaborative piece of work, you know. So I think that this idea, particularly from the executive, is who owns risk, who owns the success of capital builds, who owns the improvement of um, patient safety and quality indicators. That's the education that has to go on, that actually this is a collaborative process and you know, we've got a lot to add um, using translational Zoom in particular.
1: So I'd like to just try to recap what I've been hearing here, which is one of the goals of this uh, webinar was to think a little bit about the micro skills of being a hero of the C-suite. It's not just something we can wish to make happen. And so what I've heard from you most recently, Donna, is one of the micro skills is seeing ways to bridge boundaries uh, both horizontally but also upwards, and you said a really important thing which is a micro skill is knowing who's on the hook for this, who owns this particular risk, uh, to use an American aphorism whose ass is going to be on the line if this does not go well. Um, It's a good
2: motivator for most of us. Yeah.
1: we've also talked about using uh not only diplomatic language but non-threatening language that is also clear so uh april bell's idea of discovery sim i've heard that from others how can we instead of i'm going to be checking how well you do something let's see how this system is working together could each of you just throw in one or two more phrases of the micro skills we've gone over and then i'd like to go to damien Anything I missed here in micro skills that you think are important?
5: Using the word pilot. So anytime you're proposing to someone that they train around something that they haven't trained around before, the word pilot, let's try this out. We'll do it very carefully. We'll gather data. We'll see how it goes. And then we can decide whether we want to do it again, refine it, or whatever. That word is just your best friend.
1: Okay. so discovery, pilot, other thoughts?
2: Helping you. Yes, and we use experimentation as well. So sometimes we call it, instead of process evaluation, um, particularly if things aren't finished uh, in new services, we call it process experimentation so that we're learning as we're going. Love it.
1: Marjorie Lee or Steph, any micro skill you want to throw in that I forgot to mention?
3: Um, I I think it's also having a safety lens. and really trying, remembering that we are also looking for latent safety threats that we're looking um, with the the lens of uh, possibly safety one or safety two, right? Also using our skills to help healthcare providers um, think about what went well um, first, right? Um, And so just just remembering kind of the the tools we have in our simulation toolkit, that they actually do apply um, in, in all the settings.
1: Okay, thank you, Damien. I'm looking at the time, and I'm wondering if we could maybe uh, hear from you about one question, and maybe even your answer, um, and then I'll move on.
0: I'll just share the kind of two interesting questions, and you might consider them as for your closing comments. I, I definitely don't have the answer.
3: Okay. One
0: is one is a uh, I think a very nice. Um, observation, which is, okay, you're talking about human factors and patient safety, but doesn't the C-suite call it, care about dollars? So okay, great. what about the money and, or what's the link? And the second one uh, is, okay, you're diagnosing, you're finding uh, st- uh, safety threats, problems, who solves them? Do you take that on too? You you reimagine the SIM program as a consulting service? Are you also the fixer? Okay, great. Um, and I think you can consider those in your, in your comments.
1: Okay, folks, I'd like to just uh, ask for your kind of final takeaways um, based on this nice conversation that we've had together. What would you like to leave us with? And we have about you know 15 seconds per person here. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you.
5: I'll say if the C-suite cares no about- No pressure, no patients. pressure, Chris. <laughs> ah, the, the C-suite suite cares about um, safety, events, medical errors. These are part of the reputation of the hospital. They're part of the fabric of the wellness of the organization. So in addition to dollars, and those things connect with dollars, certainly. And so you can connect on multiple levels.
3: Audrey Lake, I think focusing on where SIM can be between work as imagined and work as is done is, is really the unifying principle for me. Donna, Bonnie?
2: Yeah, look, I have to say something about C-Suite. They're smart people. They are interested in more than dollars. Uh, But unfortunately, I think that perception is out there because we also have to care about the dollars. But I think there are ways to use that language to our advantage. Um, So, yes, of course, we care about mitigating risk and things. But but simulation does reduce dollars, right? So it might not be generating revenue, but talk about the um, reducing costs, the cost of rework, the cost of redesign, the cost of inefficient and ineffective um, processes, the cost of poor safety outcomes, medico-legal costs. We we pitch simulation to our underwriters at Lloyds of London in the UK, and they give us money back because Mm -hmm. of um, the simulation we're doing to reduce their, their claim exposure. So, we care about money, but you can use that to your advantage because there are lots of ways to save money using SIM.
1: Great. Okay. Thank
4: you, Donna. And Stephanie, you get the last word. Uh, The last word, I just am going back to the question Damien asked around who fixes it. Uh, Learn from us, try and establish that early because for a few years, we were seen as everything. Identifiers and fixes and actually, That's not that useful. (laughs) So, um, just simple things now. If a gap that's identified about education, we take ownership of that. Anything else, um, the health leadership takes ownership or capital works take ownership of that.
1: Okay, great. So, thank you all very much for being with us. Um, James, am I correct that you have the screen right now? You are correct. Okay, fantastic. So I'm very delighted that uh, participants, you could be with us for this hour. Really appreciate your um, sticking with us. And please do provide us your feedback. We'll be sending you an evaluation and we really welcome what you have to say. And if you have more questions, we will try to respond. Um, Stephanie Barwick and Donna Bonney from Modern Education in Brisbane, Australia, thank you for getting up early to join us. <laughs> Audrey Lee White from Birmingham, Alabama, thank you for staying late at work to join us. And um, James Lipshaw, thank you for being our host. And Damien Shield, really appreciate your uh, managing and sticking with our questions and helping us connect to the audience. So really appreciate your all being here. Thank you so very much.